Benvenuti nel Flick Club. Welcome to the Flick Club. I'm Karri and I studied media. That is very important. My co-host is Henrik. He's also a very important person. He currently studies media as well, or doesn't? Currently, no, because every university and other place of higher education in Finland is under a governmental lockdown. Yes, I have heard that you have made great strides efforts to fight the virus. On on my small part, yeah, I I do try to be, help help out my community and and support the university student unions and stuff like that. I can't say I'm a, any kind of a major player, but I try to do what I can. And if you want to support this mission further, you can help us via uh, donating to our Patreon account. Okay, that's really lame during the time of crisis. But you know what's also kind of lame during the time of crisis? We are once again traveling to Italy in this podcast after Spectre. Yeah. Well, it's okay. See, see, seeing seeing how we are amidst a global pandemic, and and some countries have have been kind of been in the public eye more than others. It's fair to say that our picks for the films we are going to cover really kind of hasn't played out that well for us recently. Yeah, complete accident. But as as far as I know, we haven't really covered a, an Italian film in this podcast before. So, what better way than to start the, with the blockbuster super smash hit of the Little World of Don Camillo, which today I kind of hazard to guess. Most of the people don't really even know, and those who do know Don Camillo as a fictional character and maybe knows a bit about the movies around the character, uh, I would almost guess mostly are aware of the later incarnations of the character and and the Don Camillo stories. Yeah, I haven't seen all of these films. I have seen one of the sequels like long time ago. I remember goats and plain fields, and I think these also these two same characters obviously are there head to head, toe to toe. Uh, they're in a, sitting in a chair, I think, in Camillo's home and having a big, big argument. Who would have thought? That's... Yeah, can be every one of the <laughs> Camillo movies. Yeah, that's kind of kind of a scene that repeats throughout the in- entire franchise. Yeah, Don Camillo is. And and more specifically, this original run of the films was something that the Finnish Central Broadcasting Station Yle liked to play in in TV at one time years ago. That's how I also first time came in contact with the movies, See, seeing them as Yle broadcasts when I was quite young. I don't remember how how young I was, but I I was quite a small lad back in the day. When I first saw experienced the movies, basically in the womb. I think I saw one of those Don Camillos when I was uh, around seventeen, eighteen, and I had a silly little game with my sister, who's gonna watch the most amount of movies this year. And uh, was it two thousand three or four? Yeah, this was one of them. I think coming from Ula as well. But dear listeners, <clears throat> what is the reason that we are watching Don Camillo today? Do you have an answer to this, Henrik? Because this is one of your suggestions. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, o- o- of course, this is. I I picked 
the little more of Don Camillo so that you can uh, you Kari can find the grace of God and find a way out of your deviant ways, you gay homo you. Ooh. No, in 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 all seriousness, uh, th- this is kind kind of a, a pet project of mine that's on and off going behind the scenes of the podcast. They the old saying goes that evil has many faces, and when it comes to pop culture, this is most definitely the case. Satan being kind of the one of the go-to guys, which gets a depiction in in movies or in pop media altogether, be that comic books or or music or what name ya. There's the tormentor of Haxan, the seducer of Devil's Advocate, the sympathetic love buns of of South Park. There's the I fell, but only because it was part of the God's greater plan. Sympathetic sufferer of of Neil Gaiman's Sandman, and there, there's even the fireballs and explosions Lucifer of of End of Days. But the one who is actually su- is surprisingly absent from from pop pop media, especially seeing how big part religion plays in our culture, is is God Himself. Usually in in films and in stories altogether, God does not take part in any way. It's especially in the cases when when some kind of an ancient anti-God entity is supposed to be a be awakened and swallow the humanity as whole. God often either appears as an abstract figure, like like something like inner strength or. Or you know that that one one glimpse you still find in, in yourself to to push forward, where it's impossible to kind of a say did God take part in the proceedings or did he not? Or if that's not the case, then God really does not appear at all in in films. And I I would say a case example to give give you where I'm coming with this would be End of Days. In 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 the end of days, if you haven't seen it, have yeah. Well, in in the film, the Lucifer's whole dastardly plan is is to once again bring forth the Antichrist. This time by showing his little prince of darkness to some lady and get her impregnated. And lucky for 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 the lady, there's the every cop cliche bodyguard of Schwarzenegger who becomes aware of. Of Luci- Lucifer's plans and was to protect the lady, and the film kind of uh, culminates into a scene where Schwarzenegger and the lady take refuge in from church, the house of God. Old Morningstar just bursts th- through the doors so like nobody's business. That being the house of God doesn't affect in the proceedings in any way. Just before this happens, Schwarzenegger has gotten on his has kneeled before the the altar and prayed God for strength to see the fight through. The plan goes always to hell, as Satan possesses Schwarzenegger and tries to use Schwarzenegger's body to rape the lady. And on the very final moment, Schwarzenegger finds his inner strength, fights back, refuses to be possessed and impales himself on, on the angel statue's sword. Or something like that, and Swarchika dies. Old Morningstar's 
time runs out and the plan is averted this way. And this is kind of a prime example how film depicts God, like in, in this very abstract way where if you are in faith, you, you can say that God was present. God gave Schwarzenegger the force to fight against Satan. And if you are not so much into the scriptures, you can just say that the praying played no effect into the proceedings and it was just pure T-800 seeing the situation through. And where this has all led me personally is, is kind of a become fascinated with the different depictions of God in media. Like going through different films and trying to see how the films themselves find different ways to show you the existence of God or confirm the existence of God within the story. And Donny Camillo series kind of ties into this little pet project of mine. I thought that, well, if, if I'm to include you also in some small part into what, what I'm trying to do on my spare time, Don Camillo series might be the easiest to write that we can take together. Because, once again, God is not really that strong player in physical sense in, in Don Camillo. And even in Don Camillo movies, they leave that small back door open for the audiences to kind of deny the existence of God in the film. And just say that, you know, it's it's essentially Don Camillo's... It's, it's his inner voice or his consciousness or, or his... His schizophrenia, which talks back to him. That's kind of how I read it, that it's just coming from his head. And I can completely understand why the books of Don Camillo have been seen in a not-so-good light in, in occasions. I don't know how, how the films were seen at the time, but uh, definitely were successful. And I found the Talking God, though, a very interesting theme, because it's so controversial and... Uh, you don't see it often. No, you don't. And even when God makes an appearance in, in films, like, like even in movies where God makes a real appearance, like you can't deny that the film is not showing you some incarnation of God here. Usually the God still kind of takes a back seat. Like, for example, the Morgan Freeman God from... Bruce Almighty and Evan Almighty, who most definitely is God. Like, unlike in Don Camillo, there is no question, does the God exist in those films or does he not? But once again, even Morgan Freeman's God kind of just shows up in the beginning and the end and, and maybe trolls a little during the proceedings, but he's not really kind of a active participant in what happens. Not at least in the same way as, as the voice of God or, or the voice of consciousness, if that's how you want to read it, of Don Camillo films, where they actually are constantly having discussions and debates over how the Don Camillo should work. Though I actually did like uh, quite a bit of some scenes in End of Days. The most important part of End of Days is, of course, the return of Guns N' Roses after five years, when in the studio environment, uh, the studio people basically stole the demo of the song Oh My God and published it 
as it is, as a demo, which resulted in a furious Axel Rose, but actually the song is one of my favorites and plays over it, the end credits and also during the movie uh, a little bit. It, 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 end of Days is, is kind of enjoyable, even though dumb as rocks film, which does not hold up at, at all when you try to apply any kind of a logic into the movie. It's it's a dumb spectacle and quite entertaining at times, but I I wouldn't really say that's any kind of a masterpiece of of any imagination. For the masterpiece, go to the end credits. There's two official versions, so to speak, of this film. There's this uh, French version and Italian version because during filming they spoke their own languages and. Yeah, that's made me think that somebody should make a new version where we hear them speaking with the original voices throughout the film. Would be interesting in many films, actually, to hear all of these languages together as they were. But so it is that, uh, for example, the actor Fernandel is dubbed in the Italian version that we have. And for me, this is uh, one of those things that is not so appealing to me in the old Italian films because the, it's out of sync with the speech, but so it goes. I, I myself, I've kind of grown to be blind with the issue these days mm. uh, after consuming so much of the old, of the Italian cinema of the days, and mo- most especially after consuming all the spaghetti westerns. Yeah. You, in the end, you kind of get used to it. It, it does does pop up really kind of really embarrassingly and and even troublingly every now and then in in some films once upon a time in the west has one of the one really infamous moment of of this of of the uncanny valley that this can cause to you but but altogether i would say that and in don camilla movies for example it really doesn't anymore trouble me Still, it doesn't make the problem disappear. It's still, still there. If you, if that's a problem for you, it's, it's there. But hey, you know that's. If, how... if it's a problem for you, you know, consume more old Italian cinema. Yeah, but it's still there. <laughs> if if you don't see it, you don't recognize it, <laughs> and it, it it's almost like it wouldn't be there. Yeah, this was the highest grossing Italian film of all time. And is the seventh most watched Italian film, I believe, even currently. And was the highest grossing film in France of all time. And is currently the sixth most watched French film. With, uh, in both countries, over 10 million admissions. Don Camillo's character is partly based on a Roman Catholic priest. Who was also a World War II partisan. And a detainee at the concentration camps of... Dachau and Mathausen, and he was called Don Camillo Valota. I believe uh, that's all I gotta say to start off. So, would it be scene by scene? Well, sure, why not? Let's not c- c- kind of make this any longer than it has to be, because the movie itself is an hour and a half long. I don't know, I could go to a master church. Oh, they're closed here. Yeah. So, we start off with the Credits helicopter, where we give a special mention for this one actor. It says, quote, and Sylvie, with huge letters. And I believe Sylvie, uh, who plays 
Christina in this film, this old teacher, was quite of a famous French actor. Do you have any information on this, uh, Sylvie? No, because unfortunately, I I came in contact with her from the Don Camillo movies, which kind of were the the at the end part of her career. Yeah, long career, long career since the silent film times. So yeah, yeah, we're on the helicopter right now, and we take a look at this little town that is located between Po River and Apennines. A po is a river, indeed, that flows eastwardly through the entire northern Italy. And Apennines is a mountain range in Italy that extends for 1,400 kilometers or 880 miles from the northwest to the southern tip of the country. Time-wise, we are in early summer 1946 in the story. Local e- elections were just held, and the Reds won. Kind of the spiritual Christian party supporter of the story is Don Camillo. So these two guys are the stars of the night. But basically stars of the entire franchise. Yes. Well, Don Camillo is played by Fernandel. Even though Fernandel is very prominent actor, as as is his his counter here, Gino Zervi, who plays Pepone, they mm. bo- both are actors which whom I'm pretty unfamiliar with. Once again, outside of Don Camillo franchise. Yeah, then we are very fast introduced to Pepone, indeed, and this is this uh, Gino Zervi character. This is, uh, as an actor, he is the son of Italian theater critic Antonio Cervi, well-known actor at his time, this uh, Zino Cervi. And kind of the whole crew is 50% French and 50% Italian, roughly. So it's a very balanced co-production in that sense. I'm not sure what kick-started this, uh, this huge flow of these co-productions monetary reasons i believe is a key thing but could it be some kind of a detente on their part there, there may also be some country specific restrictions on what you can and what you can't film which may also have played part in here like for example uh, a lot of exploitation films ended up being co-productions of some sort and For example, and exploitation cinema, for example, can easily be one where there are movies that you maybe couldn't be allowed to film in in country A, which could kind of translate into the filmmakers of country A wanting to do co-production with country B, which would be much more lenient on what you can film there. Hmm. It should be noted that there isn't really like the equivalent book of this film because it was a bunch of uh, short stories and then later on they were put together into a single book but even that book that carries the same name isn't really this film unless you find the book that is called something like the complete uh, the little world of don camilla or something like that that's very much the case that is how in literary form All the Camillo stories play out. They are these really short, only few pages long, mm. short stories that don't dwell that deeply into anything. And you 
kind of can see it also in, in film where also there is not a major overreaching story arc here and and the movie itself also is kind of a mostly these standalone individual segments which then are being tied together by some kind of over-encompassing narrative like there are certain themes that get played out that get introduced and reminded and in the end resolved as the film runs its course but this isn't like like your typical movie where there is one giant ass narrative and everything that happens is tied with that grandiose narrative. It essentially is Romeo and Juliet with this uh, other narrative going on with a Christian priest and a communist. Uh, it's it's partly Romeo and Juliet. Romeo and Juliet maybe gets most of the narrative presence outside of Don Camillo and, and Peppone and the constant schism that they have. But in the end, even in the film, the Romeo and Juliet story arc, it's not really that prominent. Uh, but the thing is, Henrik, that kind of the Romeo and Juliet uh, backs uh, together the entire film. That's what we start with and it gets resolved when they get married. I think that that's what carries most of the story arc, whereas, uh, you know, the priest and uh, Pepone are just doing random things, as you said. I, on the other hand, I, I, I would say that, I would say that it's it's the case where the priest and Pepone still get the majority of, of the kind of a story arc. The story arc that gets played out here is the continuous hostility between the mayor and the priest and the kind of eventual downfall of the priest that happens because of that that schism yeah but is there any kind of a high point where you're like okay now these two guys are going to kill each other or do you see like a like the biggest threat of the moment that we have been waiting for i don't i think it's just a collection of events with the same kind of power dynamics or threat level i i, I don't see the peak of narrative excitement in in terms of tension like there, there is no scenario where where the film would have been constantly being building up towards this huge point of tension that there really is no kind of narrative tension between camillo and pepone all together in the film but there is kind of an, a narrative high point in the film which comes down into the giving the Churchill blessing to either the town garden thing that Camillo is driving and then having the community, the town hall of Pepone. Mm. Okay, enough of that helicopter nonsense. And uh, now Don Camillo is in his first scene talking to God about his worries of the Reds. He tells also that somebody attacked him with a stick, but uh, he was just trying to protect his eggs. This was a bit confusing. Like somebody attacked him with a stick, and he was just tr trying to protect his eggs. Okay, I still don't know what he was actually talking about. I think this might have been a little bit clearer in the book. Yeah, the, the whole thing plays out differently in the book, where this is once again one of the the individual stories of which the book is is a collection of. But the basic gist here is that Christ, or through him God, 
or what have you, is kind of a admiring Camillo who was a- able to, you know, just stay put and just take the few blows which he received. And the whole egg comment is actually a repute of this. Camillo admits that it really wasn't Camillo being humble or just being ready to just take the blows. What he essentially was doing was trying to protect the eggs. Very sweet. Also, a point is raised for the first time of the illiterate reds. And the illiteracy is because they were working in the field when they were young. So uh, God makes the point that this is uh, not really their fault, that they uh, they are not very able to read. Also, something that I paid attention to in the book is that uh, apparently it's not even Pepone in the book. But then I read read online that uh, it is Pepone, but it's not. I, I At least in my copy, it's Proponi. Proponi, Pepone. Anyway, same guy. Viva Pepone. And uh, now the communists have gathered on the town square. Introduction of uh, Skiletti is here. This is the only member of opposition, a lawyer. And we completely forget about this character right after. <laughs> Immediately. <laughs> he gets he, he gets what, like two scenes most. And, and in both of those, he just kind of is there. Like he appears and then the camera pans to the right and he's out of the scene and out of the film. Right, what is going on? Only member of opposition. There could have been so many looking points. You could have, you know, this one guy against this huge army of communists and he would have probably been shot under mysterious circumstances and then the Camilo would have been blaming Pepone for this and all that, but that, that but, never, but you, never but came. You basically, basically you have... The one-man opposition going alone against the communists. That one man just happens to be Camillo himself. Right, but why are we introducing this guy with the this more prominent Christina in the same scene? I thought it was kind of out of place. Uh, I, I took it that it's simply so that the film itself can kind of establish that the opposition still exists. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. To, to kind of a showcase to you... Something that you kind of have to take in note, and and this this is kind of a running theme, maybe when approaching Don Camillo films or, or or the stories all together, is that the original book, A Little World of Don Camillo, it came out forty eight, and the film followed pretty soon after that, and that is. Only something like five years after the the fascist dictatorship in Italy had ended, something like six or seven years since, something like five or six years after the fascism in in Italy had ended and the fascist regime had more or less been thwarted and stopped and. I would say that kind of a legacy of fascism and and the author and the filmmakers kind of having to live through the fascist Italy is actually something that reappears in Don Camillo's stories and in the film. And I, I would say repeatedly. I would tie this whole showing that the village actually still does have an opposition member, even if just one. Or, or maybe three, because Christina and Camilo also are very strong opposition, even though they are not political figures. But showing that the village and the Communist Party of the village 
allow the opposition to exist and it's not has not been like you proposed being violently stopped by some mysterious gunshot in the night it kind of a show is there to drive a point to you that the village itself is not a fascist dictatorship it's heavily communistic village but still village that is able to allow the also the other voices and other opinions to exist and that's kind of a in, in i would say in in the heart of the whole what don camillo is all about trying to see the bridge between the two opposites and trying to kind of a showcase to you that what the stories and what the word of Don Camillo really is all about, it's about distances between persons at times, distances between ideologies, but yeah. it's not some kind of a death match. No, no. Yeah, they do make a point, though, with these two characters that yeah, there is opposition. They think that this looks like the end of the world, so they can have a little bit of a one-on-one chat or or exchange of gazes for this scene. It's kind of interesting uh, that we're still talking about communism in this town and, and how it apparently has played out in Italy after the little guy called Mussolini having his rampage. And uh, I understand completely that, you know, the Don Camillo's point of view here, kind of surprised that it's not louder. Kind of uh, and not. Mm. Yeah, the, the fear. Partly, yeah. But then again, Don Camillo himself also is not without a fault here. The accusations are laid against Camillo that Camillo is basically an old, high-class, stuck-nosed conservative who hasn't been able to move with the times. It it still kind of holds water in, in the end. That that what. Don, that's what Don Camillo, in essence, very much is. Mm-hmm. And and when it comes to Don Camillo's fear of the Reds, it's once again, yeah, it it kind of does maybe have a, a foot in in the actual very legitimate fear of fascist dictatorship as seen during the times of Mussolini. But then again, you kind of have to also remember that when it comes to Mussolini, Mussolini only started as a left-wing socialist character and kind of denounced and forgot all the socialism pretty fast and just moved on full-on dictatorship. Yeah, yeah. I, I see a like, common theme in communism that it, it's just doesn't quite work or during those times the how the leftism and so- socialism went but unfortunate i'm pleased that in this film you can't really see that it's picking sides of any kind i don't think so 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 i think it's just a kind of a, at the end a kind of a warm-hearted movie that uh, brings out the humanity in in the different sides whichever political side we are choosing we are still humans with our errors and uh that's kind of the overarching message that come together. Yeah, it, it very much is. Like, uh, also in in the rivalry between Camillo and Pepone, it, it bears to remember that Pepone and Camillo never really even oppose each other that hardly. They, they are opposing powers politically-wise, and they do oppose each other's politics, but 
they don't oppose each other as individual persons that strongly. There are a few times when when it, when the things go overboard, when the political ideologies get too heated, and that results in in personal and physical cuffings, but. It's not a personal rivalry between the two of them. They still very much hold each other in very high respect and and ask and receive help from each other throughout the film and throughout the rest of the Don Camillo stories. That's kind of a, the whole, at least in my opinion, that's kind of the end, end point of, of the whole Don Camillo franchise. Or, or together to showcase to the audience that Neither Don Camillo or Pepone is absolutely right or absolutely correct on on what they do. They are both both shown forty. They are both shown needing of each other. And if there is something that kinda rises above them to to be kind of a a bigger, better entity force in in the film, that would be God and maybe Church. Church as an as an institution and not as Don Camillo himself. What God and the church, the institution, have in common is that they both kind of are very centrists in their worldview. They they both make leanings towards Pepone and towards Camillo. They both go into into equal lengths to make sure that both sides, both parties, get treated as fairly as possible. Sometimes that means giving someone else more than to the other and vice versa. But for example, like like it is later on in the film when the town garden and the city hall thing really comes into fruition, the kind of a narrative high point of Don Camillo and Pepone's story arc of the film, that, that high point also plays out as an equal centristic approach into the into the problem between the two. Both places get blessed in the end. The, the bishop visits both of them and says that yeah, this is really nice town hall and this is really nice city content that you have built up here. Since the loudspeaker is now turned towards church, this this alerts uh, Don Camilla to do something about it. He's going to the tower to play some bells for the audience. Also, around the same time, Gina Pilotti is introduced. She talks with Christina about uh, Christina's boarding school, which I believe has now ended for her and she's back for good. There's uh, Pepone telling on the stage how the People's House or the Community Hall is going to come into fruition, which is going to hold library, dance hall, cinema, sports hall, etc. And uh, Camilla is wondering where the hell this guy is going to get the money to do that. Camilo tries now to interrupt with the church bells. It's Camilo who believes that now the whole gang of these people is going to attack the church, but they do not. There is some very nice news indeed, because Pepone has had a baby. Something to note on on the scene, on this scene when, when Camilo is, is certain that they are going to attack the church or storm the church premises is that you do well to pay attention to the fact that what Don Camillo immediately does is grab a rifle. Yes. Using the threat of violence and very severe physical harm, which is also something that 
a priest maybe should not be allowed to do or wouldn't be allowed to do and which could land him in trouble would his higher-ups find it out. After all, the whole guard they are supposed to be representing was and is kind of a world-famous pacifist, so... Yeah, Camillo is hardly the best priest around Italy, I hope. No, and, and basically, the, the, since you mentioned the possibility of, of a nighttime shooting of your political opponent, it bears to remember that, especially in the film, Don Camillo is the only one who you ever see waving a firearm. <laughs> Uh, well, not true. Also, at the farm, the Pepone is carrying a similar type of gun. They, they yeah, at at the farm, they are carrying the rifles, but they are never actually pointing them that directly towards anyone. Yeah. Un- unlike Don Camillo, who pulls off a goddamn submachine gun <laughs> under his newspaper later on in the film. Guys, like running a mafia himself. Yeah. Almost, almost. And this is a dude who was fighting alongside Pepone during the Second World War behind the narrative of the film. Yeah, this this movie is at times hilarious. Just hilarious. Uh, this machine gun moment, which ultimately is kind of nonsensical because Pepone has already admitted that there was some money found in this source, and they're gonna put it into the the, the the new community hall. But this is not enough for him. He wants some different kind of terms. And for this, you apparently need this machine gun. <laughs> that, 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 that's the grace of God. Bullet by bullet. Yeah, grace of recoil. Interesting setup for the beginning. Uh, so these are, of course, old buddies, Pepone and uh, Camillo. They know themselves from before. And there is this one flashback scene of a rocky old hut on fire and they're playing this who scared game like who is going to be strong enough to go nearest to this burning house and then Don Camillo tells that uh, he set up the flames and the reaction of Pepone is surprisingly mild you ought to be killed but that never happens and then kind of says that you kind of gave me a bit of a service by doing it because I was always so worried about that place of ammunition yeah, in, in in the original short story, it kind of ends up with, with God reprimanding Camillo for the fact that before Camillo burned down the shack and destroyed the ammunition storage, apparently he also had stolen one of the machine guns from that storage. Kind of more highlight, once again, that all Camillo acts like he's the one-man mafia throughout the story's point. <laughs> yeah. Virtual Maduccia is now discussed. He also plays the bells now in a different point of time and gets firecrackers immediately thrown at him. And immediately after this, or what seems to be so, is that Pepone's wife is coming through the front door of the church and wants uh, the newborn to be baptized at this church. But is turned down by... by Camillo in humorous ways. Now then Pepone comes to comes to also convince Camillo to proceed, but not after they have a little bit of a fight inside the bell tower. Abruccia the farm. This is where we get to the uh, whole Romeo and Juliet gist. Mariolina at work, 
the land is supposed to be dry and on the other side of the wall that they build to avoid any kind of unpleasantries. The land is fertile and everything is going good. Marielino runs for Gina and they are meeting uh, and see the, each other via this crack in the wall. And father su- shoots the pigeon coming from the communist side, kind of building the whole tension that the entire town seems to have. Christina's pigeon surprise is the next scene because Christina is now cooking this pigeon. And it's made out that uh, it's mentioned that uh, she hasn't received her pension. So she's apparently open for any job opportunities also coming from the communists. And the communists happen to arrive to ask uh, if they could get some help from this old lady to help with writing reports and statements. Looks like she has also thought all of them. So she still holds a grudge towards everybody, including Pepone, who gets thrown out. Yeah, well, for for a simple act of bringing frogs to the schoolyard and once riding a cow. Yeah, weird. Did you kind of once can show that when it comes to the opposition to the communists of the film, the accusations of them being overly conservative and kind of a stuck ideologically to the old days, like like fucking centuries ago, that. That criticism kind of a ho- does hold water. Like Christina here, as an example, is is still a, one could very well argue that she's overtly and way too angry at Pepone for the fact that Pepone has has ridden a cow. Like who would really give a shit except overtly conservative Christina? Yeah, I believe it's not about the cows. It's just uh, kind of a rage against the communism. No, she specifically actually makes the point that every other communist from the village is accepted to receive teaching and grammar correcting from her, except Pepone. And when this is questioned, why Pepone is doomed to be an outcast, the only two examples are the frogs and the cow. Yeah, well, every town has one of these ladies that is just not gonna change her mind. Yeah, and and who are kind of a deadlock to be stuck up for some really minor inconveniences that they have faced in some part of their life. In in this case, you know, fucking decades ago. Yeah. And that's kind of also how, how the whole town itself operates. Like you mentioned the, the wall that had been built between the two families. And something that is also noted in, in that scene is that the, the whole divination that appears between these two families, it, it stems from two things. It stems from f- welfare inequality, the other family having a really good land, and the communist family having really shit land, which it's really hard to farm. Also, some minor disagreements that have spiraled into feuds as time has passed. Correcto mundo. Back to church, Henrik. There is some guy from the printing press, I guess. Uh, the character is not really introduced in any way. He's just there and Don Camilo is doing something, uh, cleaning something and having these little ladders against the wall. And there is something that is going to be copied in huge amounts. And they're reading this letter and uh, they're making fun of the whole thing. Essentially what they're making fun of is is the sabotage of Pepone's 
open letters or statements in the town community board, whatever they have, where, where basically everyone, every member of the town can can post his his letter or his his own writing for everybody to read. And apparently, like with most of the communists of the village who did not have time for proper schooling, since they had to all work on the family farms at a pretty young age. Also with Pepone, the, those open letters and writings are full of grammatical errors. And around this time, Pepone comes for con- confession. Uh, I really like this shot when uh, Camilo reacts to this first with a surprise, and then it seems that he's going to, in some way, like insult uh, Pepone for this, that he is coming there and make fun of the whole situation, but he just manages to swallow that and just continue on normally. Although still later makes a little bit of fun about it. But once again, Camilo is not really behaving like a priest should behave. Rather, he's now thinking that he should make some physical harm towards Pepone after he has heard the confession can't use hands, apparently, according to God, so tries to use his legs, but it's never really shown whatever the hell he might be doing with those legs. But uh, at least he sur- manages to surprise Pepone, who is on his knees. It was such of a quick cut that I can't make heads or tails what happened, but things He's happen. He's supposed to kick Pepone in the ass once. Yeah. As well. a reputal for the fact that Pepone is the person who had done that night time stick attack against Camilo, which is mentioned in the beginning of the film. Yeah, what it ultimately looks like is that nothing is done with the legs, but Pepone is just in shock, so requires a little bit of imagination to put the kick into these scenes. Correcting the Pepone letter is now in motion. There's one part where it's supposed to say we're going to expand the school building, but it has been now corrected to we're going to expand the school building and repair the belfry. Very funny. Mailman tells of Pepone's invite to a social ceremony and gets thrown with some water or something. But ultimately Camilla accepts this invite and there's the cornerstone ceremony for the community hall building. Camilla is there kind of reluctantly, but still... Goes on with the whole show, gives a little bit of a speech, reads the Bible super fast, speed reading. But yeah, he's there and a handshake and all that happens. Don Camillo now is playing Pepone for some of the crimes of the past. Uh, I believe this is about the uh, finding money from uh, fascists during World War II to finance the construction of the new community hall. And now Camillo is blackmailing Pepone. With this knowledge, soon we get to this whole machine gun scene. So 7 million to be put in the community hall and uh, 3 million to a garden city. That is the demand of Camillo. Adds also the lines in it, Parabolos venire ad me, let the children come to me. Yeah, and the people are complaining that the two construction sites are not providing enough jobs. So people are unhappy, kind of interestingly. Not knowing the circumstances well enough, the, you would think that still two construction sites are providing way more jobs that, than they were before these two construction sites, but apparently people don't like this, and it's time to have some negotiations with the rich landowners. 
Yeah, the, the, the financial situation in the town is never really made that clear, but it, it is obvious that there is uh, there is an inequal welfare kind of a gap between the and this kind of a haves and have nots economy going on on in the village where there are a lot of these relatively poor small farmers and then there are the, these more or less kind of a farm parents like really really rich kind of these towns one percenters or, or the financial elite yeah what is their view let's see so there is a suggestion from peponi that the tax will be paid for land which is used to pay for work somehow and otherwise he will throw the land sharks or the rich landowners to the poor's hands and kind of shift the blame on only to them and that's that's actually what he does, because the landowners do not agree, and Pepone announces the farm workers' strike. And in effect, it's uh, kind of the rich owners' fault, because they are not willing to go forward and uh, allow the people to work in any way. And Gina is now wanting to go to milk the cow, but can't go, because of the situation. The old man is going nowhere either, but Camilo is up here to fix the situation. He curses the selfish landowners and takes his rifle while the ladies are in the house. And uh, it seems that uh, Pepone has collected all the cows of the entire town into the same place. And uh, they are not doing anything to help the cows. They're there to be left to be, to rot away. And uh, Camilo is now with the gun there. And uh, of course, he's Pepone's buddy, so no, no biggie. And they're milking and feeding the cows kind of surreptitiously. To finish the job together while playing card games and drinking. Good scene. Ties the relationship together for the viewer even further. People of course think the cows died because the crying and moaning stopped. I, on my part, was kind of pleased by the, the, the bicycle of Don Camilo. I, I'm not sure what the communists were complaining about. It, it was indeed a pretty nice vehicle. But uh, they are saying it in a... Not so respective fashion, and a fight ensues, and a table is being thrown. Takes care of 15 people, apparently, in this sprawl. <laughs> Tough man. This, of course, leads to the discussions with the archbishop, supposed archbishop. Then is there to suggest that there will be Camillo thrown out of the entire town, and a young guy would take over who would not cause any problems. But then, uh, kind of surprisingly, in a way... Yeah, and Pepone doesn't want this new guy to take over. He would prefer to be fighting with Camillo, who at least has some kind of a character to challenge him, and that's what he seems to like. Once again, these uh, bad boys meet and at the construction site of this uh, new community hall, or whatever it is, Camillo makes the suggestion that there should be a game of football between Dinamo and, and uh, Gagliarda. And there's some... Parade at the same time, and due to disallowing the communist flag, Pepone is boycotting the whole, whole parade. Then there's some boom-boom sounds coming from the street, and indeed everybody was having bombing fears, and something is going on there. Shots, explosions, but shortly after that, uh, the bad boys of the story. Camilo and Pepone once again meet, and it's like nothing happened, really. And now it's time to give some blessings for the lake or the pond that they have there and uh, 
carrying of the Jesus's cross. Communists give way for Jesus and the blessing of the pond takes place in order to get not get any flooding incidents like happened before in the town. This scene particularly is, is supposed to be kind of the, the high point of suspense in the film. There, there is a, a lot of screen time or, or a lot of emphasis is given on the fact that Camillo feels kind of a being like like in danger when he has to make the trek and go to the lake to give its give his blessing for the lake the blessing supposedly in this village being super important to the villagers because they kinda i guess believe that blessing the lake somehow appeases the lake or provides god protection over the lake so that the lake wouldn't flood and cause havoc on the town and th- this is kind of the mission where which camillo has to perform and as as he's starting his his journey to the lake he is kind of a tense and fearful for the fact that the communists would somehow physically voluntarily try to stop and oppose him and as you mentioned at the the culmination of of all, all, all the tension is that the communists don't do anything except make way although they they give out the statement that they are making way for for jesus and not camillo but in the end it's it's all the same camillo gets to the to the lake unopposed and gets to give his blessings and everybody seems to be more happier for it concurrently at the beach we have uh, the background story about the virtue or sexton of a flooded church and uh, this uh, virtue sexton was the grandfather of christina so she comes there to commemorate every year and finds mariolino and gina there mariolino is suggesting eloping for gina to take place in the in in two years that's a long time and uh, gina gets superstitious about hearing the bells from under the water from the church that was destroyed and sunken but it's not that mariolino is completely clueless at this moment because he should have been in the football game ages ago then he's like oh yeah the football game indeed yeah they're, they're hearing the ringing of the bells they got a narrative goal for the whole remark about the bells is, is is the signal that supposedly hearing the bells is a is a bad omen a sign of a of tragedy in in near future but, and mm. that that kind of is is to be played automatically at the end of the Romeo and Juliet story arc in the film oh yeah yeah but, and but... later on in the film do in in the Romeo and Juliet story arc of the movie, there is the two kind of disappear from their families. The parents don't know where the youngsters are, and they are heading towards the lake. And that's kind of tying up to the notion that apparently, at least if you are supposed to believe the superstitious old granny teacher, previously when the bells had ring. A member of of the village had died, drowned in the lake. So that's kind of a, is is now implementing to the audience that the threat that everybody fears here is that the youngsters 
now having heard the bell, previously would in the end try to escape their over-controlling families by drowning themselves together into the same lake. Except Mariolino suggests then that the, this is definitely not the bells from the church at all, so it completely nullifies the whole thing and Christina approves that, that this is in, indeed correct. Uh, kinda, yeah. I mean, I mean, the film still kind of tries to give you this this sense of threat later on in the film. Like, th this is supposed to be one of those moments where, like your horror movie moment, where the, the young couple come into the old house, mm. and, and one member of the family gets the ominous present. He sees the light flicker, or he sees the weird shadow, and reports that I, I saw a shadow in that corner. And, and somebody else from the family remarks that it, it was nothing. It was just just the lights. It, it was just the wind doing its tricks. And everybody is kind of like, oh yeah, of, co of course. And and forgets that. And in later on in the, in the horror story, well, of course, once again, the ominous shadow returns. And it turns out that it was a spirit or some shit like that. That's essentially kind of the narrative framework that also the film is trying to play. Well, the biggest element of horror, I think, here is Christina. You never know how how much she's going to bite when you get into a conversation with her. Perhaps rightfully so, but now she's performing some leniency here and Christina approves of the communist boy and their marriage, happily even. Even though, just moments ago, Christina said that he's also a bit of a dum-dum, but approves it nevertheless. And most notably, a godless communist. Yep, but this is the moment where people are starting to come together. And now there's the football game. Referee makes the great point that politics don't belong to sports, except uh, hits with the knuckle might still belong there as seen, hitting of a player from Reds. Somehow the fact that uh, Mariolino hits this uh, Christian boy then leads for a Penalty shot for the Reds. I have no idea how that actually makes sense, but that's that's what is suggested that, that, here. That, that's kind of explained to you a couple of scenes later when it comes apparent that Pepone had bribed the referee. Yeah, what? That, that being, being a stunt that Camillo also had tried, but Pepone had over 500 liras more. I get and that. But that's kind of... Is this the best possible way to really call a penalty shot? That's what they do, though. Well, it's it's not completely unheard of in, in the world of sport. There's one really infamous... Was it Finland against Russia hockey match from a couple of years ago? The Russian hockey player falls and falls over his own skates. And that's a penalty shot for the Russians. Well, in this case, anyway, the, the red guy should have just got received a red card and uh, removed from the field. Yeah, yeah, so he had, but, you know, bribes, yeah. what you gonna do? But all, all together, the football game itself, as as being kind of one of the, the high points of, once again, the, the schism and, and tension in the film, that's kind of interesting because... In, in the core of Don Camillo's stories, one, one of the main themes is the real-life historical political divide between Italian Roman Catholic Church and the Italian Communist Party. This, 
also stemming from the fact that during these times the church was also a political institution as it is still at least to a degree even today and the priests of the church also were political figures. This is something that show up every now and then in, in Don Camillo's stories where Don Camillo has to meddle in with politics or meddles in with politics on his own volition as a political figure because that's also what he is in, in the village. That divide is essentially what is the divide between Pepone and Don Camillo. Since you already mentioned Mussolini previously, is is something that kind of also played part in real life in, in Mussolini. Mussolini's father was a blacksmith and an active left-wing politician and also anti-clerical, much like the everyman's character Pepone. And Mussolini's mother, on the other hand, was an elementary school teacher and devoted Catholic, much like Don Camillo himself, or now retired elementary school teacher of the village, Christina. And in this scene, where, where the kind of the, the divide and, and the fight, or the battle between Camillo and Pepone is most active, like this is as physical as the communist versus the church conflict gets, I, I would say. This, this has the largest fight of the film. It happens in, in soccer field, and soccer was actually a sport that was heavily embraced by Mussolini, who saw soccer not as not only as a great way to stay physically fit, but also as a method to unify then, back then divided Italy. And much like Pepone and Camillo both also unified the members of their corresponding teams in effort to win the match. And also, also the, the notion that when the match in the end is decided, it's not based on, on skill of the players, but simply on money. The 2000 Liras corruption, which Camillo had tried to play out, and which eventually went to Pepone's kind of a parallels also to the way how Vatican ended up quietly approving Mussolini's dictatorship in exchange for cash and sovereignty. Yeah, very good. In this film, indeed, Camillo and Pepone are kind of a mirror images of each other, once again, proven by this football game. We have a scene of uh, arguments where Camillo is kind of defending Mariolina and the marriage at some point, and then the rich townspeople are making arguments against whole Mariolino. Next scene, Christina is about to die. Now forgives everything about the frogs and wants a funeral without music and, the, and also wants the flag of king on her coffin. And she dies kind of in a convenient way. Only one thing was left to do regarding the lovebirds, but her system shuts down right after she finishes her sentence. Another discussion whether the flag on the coffin is okay or not. Then it's okay. I respect her more dead than I respect you alive, says Pepone. And if somebody has anything against it, he can fly out of the window. But there is still problems because uh, Camilla is not willing to get them married just now because there's an approval needed from the parents legally because she's too young. Pepone doesn't approve. And Pepona believes they might try to kill each other because 
the bell in the water kind of thing. And a rescue mission is initiated. They find them alive. Pepona and Camilla painting Christmas ornaments now together, culminating in the, the fact that now the animals, so to speak, have come to an understanding once again. And Archbishop uh, ar arrives with the car, but there's a little bit of a crowd of communists on the way, which seem to be completely ignoring the car in every possible way. But hey, he gets out of the car and then takes a little stroll with Pepona, which Camilla really doesn't care for or like. Kind of a weird moment where Pepone's son Marco comes bearing flowers wrapped with warm thoughts. And, uh, he wasn't expecting this at all. Suppose it was organized by Camilla. There's this little side trip to the community hall. Tonight there is no reds or blacks. It's just party time. But things get a little bit heated that evening because it's suggested by the face of Camilla that uh, he once again got into a fight. And this is the final straw for the archbishop. So Camilla has to leave the town. I'm not sure if it was very clearly indicated that the archbishop wanted Camilla to leave. Maybe I, I have been sleepwalking here, but uh, we just get the idea that, okay, Camilla is ready to depart and get to a train. It's not made that clear, or it's not strongly emphasized in, in the movie. Camilla being exiled from the village, kind of, a, it, it ties down into the previous fight that Camillo had had when he knocked out those 15 guys after they made fun of his bicycle. And during that conversation, the bishop had first kind of a reprimanded Camillo, kind of going like, no, no, Camillo, you can you shouldn't fight. And But in, in the end had looked it past his fingers and been even kind of extremely approving of Camillo's antics and approving the fact that Camillo had used used his fists. But now on, on the later fight, it becomes kind of a recurring event. This is the second time that, that the bishop has to, to take notice of Camillo's hot temper and his tendency to get into fights. And that's kind of what's supposed to be the straw that breaks the camera's back, so to speak, here. Though Pepone says his last greetings to Camilla, even stops the train, as a matter of fact, and Pepone guarantees that this new guy who will replace Camilla will not last very long under his watchful eye. So, in a sense, he is already planning for to get Camilla back as soon as possible. Yeah, which I do feel is kind of a nice touch from the film. And is like, this something that then happens in the second part? Because I'm not sure if I have even seen it. It It is what happens, even though it doesn't happen as fast as you might think. Judging by the ending of, of, of The Little World. In, in the sequel, Pepone is starts with being quite happy. For the, for the fact that Don Camillo is no longer there to stand on his way. And it's after Pepone himself kind of gets into a political situation which he can't get over with and which he can't win. If I remember correctly, it's about building a dam in, in the village and Pepone can't get the dam plans approved by the rich landowners of the village. And that's kind of the problem that Pe Pepone now faces. And it's 
it's in order to solve that problem that Pepone eventually decides that I really have to call Camilo back into the village. Mm. Like the ending of, of this film kind of gives you the illusion that Pepone will immediately get rid of Camilo's successor. It's, it's just a matter of weeks and Pepone is going to do that simply because he, in the end, he actually do, does like and respects Camillo. But in, in the sequel, it, it doesn't happen precisely or exactly like that. There is also that Pepone actually needs to have Camillo there to serve his own interests when it comes to the dam project. Like previously said, this whole Don Camillo set of films is filmed in the same town and there's like five films in the kind of official series because the because the, the, the last one is without the actor of Don Camillo in this film, Fernandel. There's the sequels The Return of Don Camillo, Don Camillo's Last Round, Don Camillo Monsignor, Don Camillo in Moscow. Then there is Don Camillo and the Youth of Today, which was an unfinished film. Because during the filming, supposedly somewhere in mid-production, Fernandel died. He was away from the production for, I believe, several months because of this illness. And uh, yeah, then he died and they... Just uh, scratched the entire film, as I see it, and they completely refilmed it with the new guy playing Camilla. And that was the last of the films, and clearly not as successful as the previous ones. Then again, they say that there wasn't anything else to film. This was to be the, the final film, because there wasn't that much material to go with, because the, also the original writer of the books had died. That's uh, Little World of Don Camilla. Uh, but look what I found here. Quickies. Favorite performance. Uh, from my end, it has to go to Fernande. Portraying the ever joyous and loving city priest, Don Camillo. Both leads are effective. I'll go with Fernandel. I like this. Some particular shots of his reactions very much. Favorite scene. Uh, that would be the moment when Don Camillo is... To go to bless the lake, and Camillo has his walk throughout the city streets, carrying the Christ with him. Okay. I think when Pepone came to the church to give his confession was one of the funniest material out there, so I'll go with that. And favorite quote? Mine actually goes to God, or, or Jesus in, in, in this film. And this is kind of a rough translation from the Finnish translation of Italian dub. But after the game, when Camillo is complaining to God about how the football game ended, and God remarks, I heal souls, not legs. Yeah, kind of <laughs> removing his uh, weight of responsibility at that moment. He uh, also kind of is correct. Kinda legs are maybe not God's priority. Okay, and for me it would be Gina, is that you? You look exactly like a woman. Should I be looking like a goat? That's what you looked like when you left. Can I see you tonight? Uh, that's some best dating advice of the film. This came so out of nowhere that I had to laugh. So he, he re really, this character of Mariolino makes himself look like the most 
disgusting person of the entire film, but uh, then it's shown that he's not actually quite that bad, and it was kind of tongue-in-cheek and not a personal attack or something. Also, if I should choose something from the book, I kind of like some of the Jesus material. Here, quote, Think seven times before writing Proponis an ass, or Pepone. This would be followed by Favorite Kill. And that's kind of tricky one, because nobody gets killed in the film, and there was only one death altogether. But I'm not actually gonna take the, the super obvious Christina one, and instead I opt out to go with whoever is the person who died in 1912. When, the, when was the last time the bell rang? <laughs> okay, uh, then I'm going to go with the Virtue of 1886. Very gory. So, Henrik, ready to pack your bags to travel to Italy? It's too bad. I, I would really like to visit many filming locations in Italy because there's so many. I think I could spend an entire month or more. You know, n n nothing's really stopping you. I mean, if you wait for couple of months I get I'm guessing you can get to some real cheap flights yeah I, I doubt that I, I, I doubt that I, I this is starting to look really bad really bad so so bad also econo economically that I really there could be so unforeseen circumstances coming in the next months that this could really be the end of it as we know it yeah it's bye-bye global economy and by that we're going to have our wards full of people on their deathbeds, even more so. Looking forward to that. Yeah. I, um, I, I fail to see it's gonna be that bad, or we, we are not that lucky. Yeah, I would say that we, that the global economy has already taken so many billions of hit, that uh, kind of bouncing back from that, I don't know, the repercussions could be way too heavy. I, I don't know, global economy takes a hit every now and then, and some really major ones. This is no, by far, I, I wouldn't say this is even the worst hit that the global economy has, has taken. Yeah, it's like World War Three right now, but completely globally. Yeah. Uh, taking, taking economical hits kind of actually falls into the realm of, of capitalism and is, is major part of capitalism. Ca capitalism as a as an economical system leads into inevitable hit taking and and ba basically it always leads into a collapse. Capitalism being a, a, a being an economical model that that just has to collapse every now and then. So yeah, yeah, on, on that side, you know, we we have seen these collapses before. We are seeing one now and we will see them in the future. Yeah, but nobody knows how long this is gonna take, and even now it has that this is very unprecedented. We have never seen exactly anything like this before. So also, it's surprising that we're not talking more about the consequences and the long-term impacts to the economy. So I think you'd be doing good if you would just prepare for some kind of a end-of-the-world scenario. To be honest, yeah, yeah all, always, always prepare, but. The end of end of the world. I would say that's not coming. Prepare for rougher times. It's it's gonna get harsh, but so it so it did the last time, and we all lived through it. So it went before that. We survived that. So you know, be prepared, but you know, don't don't lose your sleep yet. Not really. We're 
in the same boat, so we're all gonna be fucked very soon. <laughs> well, if, if if that's the case, case, then then it it bears to remember your words that you just said means that we all are going to get fucked because bunch of Polacks. Yeah. What drew you out? Um, nothing really. I do have some minor grievances with the film. Maybe <clears throat> fix it a little every here and there. Maybe maybe insert some larger fixes also. But nothing that drastic that they would have taken me out of the picture. Yeah, like you said, it's like a compilation of stories, what it often feels like. But it also tells you more about the characters in a way. At how close they really are, Camilo, Pepone, and uh, by the end, like nobody has really won this rivalry. They're even, and so uh, nothing really drew me out. What drew you in? Um, the overall nice feeling that this film has. Yeah, the huge laughs in the first thirty minutes or so here and there. Uh, how would you butcher this film, or how would you improve it? Kind of hard to say. Something that's not that necessarily is not helping the film is the original short material. The fact that the books are just a collection of short stories. But um, maybe I I would try to still try to unify the narrative of the movie a bit more. Maybe maybe give it some more clear and stronger emotional narrative peaks. But. Altogether, I, I am still really happy with the movie as it is. But should I somehow try to change it, I guess that would be my changes. Yeah, maybe the film could have given more clarity on the fact why Don Camillo is so obsessed about this this guy or setting everything straight with the rifle. But I guess that's just his Italian or French blood at play. Yeah, like you said... There could have been some kind of a more build-up to the end between these characters, but just kind of swinging here and there. We have this scene here and this scene there, and it's narratively it's the same thing happening. Henrik, would you recommend Little World of Don Camilla? I most definitely would. In my opinion, this is really good and and solid kind of a feel-good, be happy movie where nothing too drastic ever happens. That also may be a hindrance to some some audiences, but altogether, I every now and then I I enjoy my pieces of happy escapism from all the dreaded reality of the world, and I mm. I do think that Don Camillo franchise kinda does have a place in in offering you that escapism, showing you that there are these. Small hour and a half, hour and forty minute long films where the the rivalries and the divides are nothing too great, and basically everything can be solved by talking and with a smirk on your face. Also, since in in the beginning of the film, I in indirectly proposed the question of what type of a god kind of a Don Camillo gives to you, and and. Kind of a does Don Camillo work as 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 a film which you can look when you try to see different types of presentations of God. I would say that Don Camillo more than delivers also on on that front. That the God in Don Camillo being 
more of a shepherd or, or companion than anything else. Um, in in Don Camillo, God does not take direct control. If anything, he is a conversationalist. He's someone who you can talk to and who talks back to you. And that's kind of a, what I feel is kind of a rare take in, in pop culture about, about God. This is not the playback barely in, in the picture lord and neither is, is this one the angry fire and brimstone force of nature depiction of God. This is kind of the middle of the road God which is there always to, to kind of counteract you to kind of, kind of have a chat to answer your questions and propose questions to you. And I, I do think that since, since the depictions of God are so kind of lacking and so few and far between in pop culture altogether, if you are interested in seeing, at least in my opinion, pretty solid, pretty workable depiction of God, Don Camillo also delivers on that front. Okay, I thought that it wasn't particularly a very exceptionally strong movie uh, i feel that the characters themselves are the strongest part of of the movie which makes it a worthwhile watch and it's like stated really funny there are some elements like this uh, the character of jesus in the film and how it's depicted which makes makes for interesting viewing and like stated like a fun feel good film but uh, this kind of a separated uh, scenes that do not really come together to bring a particularly strong narrative but just for the two characters uh, it's uh, quite of a interesting ride to follow it so maybe not the strongest recommendation ever in this podcast but uh, recommendation nonetheless but how to tie it down to you really know you're watching a little world of don camilla when you try to measure a priest's merit in meters and in weight for me it would be you really know you're watching The Little World of Don Camillo when squeezing milk out of cow's udder is detente, indeed. My three adjectives would be funny, warm-hearted, and conciliatory. Mm. Heated, hilarious, and uh, warm. Guess that's that's kind of it for this week. Anything to add before uh, I go to sanitize myself and... Uh, Put on the protective mask and uh, gloves and all that, and head to sleep and hope that no virus will bite me. Come on, I I, I don't know if all, all that sanitation is is in order. I mean, it was just one film, and like you mentioned, you can actually say that God isn't really in there. That it's just you know the inner talks of Don Camillo himself. There is that, and the fact that we are very much grounded. But yeah, that that was. God for ya. Wasn't that bad, now was it, Karik? No, no, no. A God depicted in a, in a way that is humorous for theists and atheists alike. I would hope. And, and, and me being nothing, if not merciful here, I can let you to name our next film and pick the film for next week's episode. Yes. Well, I have a suggestion for you. What about, since we've been really slacking in our schedule with these international films, begging the question, are we an international film podcast? So how about traveling 
to Cinema Paradiso next. Isn't Cinema Paradiso supposed also to supposed to be an Italian film? Yep. <laughs> like, like, like we just just visited Italy. Like like two minutes ago, 30 seconds ago. We are still visiting Italy. Uh yeah, Italian France production, as far as I understand. Yeah, yeah. We are still doing it as we speak. <laughs> the thing is that uh, we we should get back to the whole world cinema and uh This is something that has been hanging on our <laughs> listener recommendation list for I don't know over a year. So maybe we could get to that. Listen, listen, I'm 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 more than ready to try to talk about Cinema Paradiso. I, I'm I'm not not opposing the film, but I do kind of find it funny that you <laughs> feel that we are getting back to the international film podcast roots when we are talking about Italian French co-production. As we are currently talking about Don Camillo, which also is an Italian-French co-production. Yeah, well, we've been slacking on our Italian-French co-productions, so no. Yeah, yeah. Also, bear in mind that the previous film which we talked about, Spectre, was at least partly filmed in Italy. So <laughs> I, I'm I'm sensing a theme, <laughs> which I I, I guess per 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 remember uh, reminding none of this is any kind of a personal peace taking against Italy. No. And making making fun of the corona situation. This is just Kari being Kari once again. Yeah, the, the, I didn't plan this either. I just thought that this is finally something that we should tackle. Listener recommendation from Anas. Yeah, yeah. Uh, by, by all means, let's visit Cinema Paradiso next. Okay. Sounds good, sounds good. All right. That's it for this week. Naturally, we are on social media and... Recently, we have just launched our new spanking website, so it couldn't be easier to find. It's uh, theflicklab.com. That's where you'll find all the latest episodes of ours and access to social media pages, email, what have you. And I believe Because there is not enough junk in the internet already. Yeah, and Henrik has been threatening to write some blog stuff there in the future, so we'll see how that I goes. I make no promises about <laughs> that. Maybe if I get desperate and drunk enough. <laughs> Back to the good old days, huh? That, that, that's the old-fashioned bit of it, way. Yeah. <laughs> we, are, we are being professionals. But hey, for this week, that's it for the Italian stuff. Turn back next week. For more Italian stuff. <laughs> Man, uh, man, we suck at this international <laughs> film podcast thing. I really, I, I must make this clear. I, I wasn't planning for it, but it just happened. <laughs> Arrivederci. Until next week. This, of course, leads to the discussions with the archbishop. This scene particularly is, is supposed to be the high point of suspension. Uh, of suspense. The high point of suspension. <laughs>
That's well, very much the case. That, 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 that